Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and jump into them. If you have uh, an ESV version already, we will be in 1 Corinthians 12. If you're maybe using a device this morning and you don't have it set to ESV, you can set it there. You'll just be able to follow along a lot easier. Well, since we are, uh, since we're kind of dropping into 1 Corinthians 12, this is what we call a standalone sermon, a one-off sermon. We just came out of a series, but since we're dropping in, I just want to give you a really quick and broad overview of this letter, what we'll be looking at today. So 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And like Paul does in many of his letters to the church, he directly addresses some of the division that was taking place at the time and also the very things that were causing it. Now, there are some really similar and unfortunate parallels here with the church in Corinth and actually what we see taking place in much of the global church today. There was, there was an overemphasis on the giftings of certain individual believers at the time and it was, actually, it was actually hindering the worship of the maturity of the church as a whole, specifically as they were gathering together by creating something of an elite group or what we might refer to today as church celebrity culture. And they were making certain believers out to be a bigger deal than other believers, elevating their giftings above others. But there was also this group of people in the church that had grown discontent with their giftings that God had given them. So they had actually stopped functioning as parts of the body, the parts that they played. And both of these things, they, they actually minimized the gospel by trading it for the idol of our own talents and our abilities. And it's important that we start out by saying that is not the defining upside down nature of the gospel. And therefore it should not be the defining upside down nature of the church. Rather, we, we should use the gifts God has given us out of a heart of complete thankfulness for what he has done for us, all right? The salvation that he has brought to us. The very nature of the, of the gospel is a complete and utter dependence on Christ alone, as we just sang, for our salvation. And in the same way, the very nature of the church is a complete interdependence on one another for both, both our growth in spiritual maturity and our worship to God who in his grace and in his sovereignty has given each of his people giftings for both of those things. And those giftings, they, they aren't meant to be developed in a vacuum. They actually, they actually can't be. But we are to grow in our giftings through serving one another, not out of guilt or because it just seems like the right thing to do, but from a deep love for God, for the grace that he has shown to us and for the love of his people and the mission that he has called each of us to. None of us, None of us are meant to carry that mission alone. None of us were meant to do this independently from the rest. That's not how God's church, that's not how God's people are meant to function and it's not how the church was ever meant to be. So what Paul wants the church to see here is the beauty of God's design for interdependence because it really is what keeps us from that celebrity culture that elevates some people in the church above others. It really is what leads us in unity within the diversity of different backgrounds and upbringings that we have. And it opens us up to seeing the goodness and the beauty 
of how God has individually gifted each of us. Again, not just for the building up of a few elite individuals, but for the interdependence and the common good of his entire church. And just so you don't think that I'm just making that up, look quickly with me at what Paul says in verse four of chapter 12, and then we will look at today's passage. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. All right, let's jump up to verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Well, there is, man, there's a lot in there, and we could probably have like three sermons out of that one passage. But what I want to start out with this morning is what the intention of this passage is not. Right? The main focus is not to be placed entirely on the giftings themselves that Paul lists off here. And the danger that I think we so often fall into is that it tends to be explained in a way that puts all of the importance there. When actually that is literally the very thing that Paul is pushing against in this letter. It's the very fact that the church was putting their hope in so much emphasis on these individual giftings and who had them and who didn't that is causing so much disunity in the first place. See, the church had made Christianity all about their gifting and their ministries and they lost sight of the body. 
of the importance of the body, of that eternal community of believers. We were meant to live in the beauty of an interdependent community. Now, we, we like community in general, don't we? Most people, most people like community, being a part of something, feeling uh, like they belong to something. The issue here, or the rub, as Ronnie would put it, is that even though we all like community, we are so much less inclined to go after it at the expense of our independence. And so that's one of the questions that I want you to think through this morning. Are you willing to sacrifice your independence for the sake of Christ's community? And if that answer is yes, then how do we avoid independence? What do we do to push against it? Why is it so important that we are using our giftings within the church to serve the body from that deep love for God and one another while also not allowing our giftings to create independence in that process? Independence or, or autonomy. It doesn't put us on an island somewhere. We're gonna look at three things in this passage this morning, if you're a note taker, these are the three things we'll be going through. We're gonna look at a complementary interdependence, all right, so how God designed his church to be. We'll talk about an often unseen interdependence. So basically, if God has designed his church this way, then why is interdependence so often unseen in the church? What are the things that cause that? And then we're gonna end by looking at man, what becoming interdependent looks like, all right? We're all always becoming something. The question for us here is, are we becoming more interdependent on one another? Or are we becoming more independent from one another? And just to be clear, when I say interdependent, because I'm going to be saying it a lot this morning, what I mean is, do you see your need for others and do you understand that others need you for the body of Christ, for the church to function as God designed it to? And if you don't, my prayer this morning is that, man, after this morning, you might. So let's look at that first one, a complementary interdependence. The beauty of the type of interdependence Paul lays out here is that it is complementary in its nature, meaning it's not transactional or consumeristic. It's not, hey, you use your gifting today and I'll tap in and I'll use mine tomorrow. No, we are, we are functioning together as one, all right? Each part being essential to the working as a whole, complementing the next one. And so to show that, Paul uses this example of our physical bodies because it's something that people, man, from all cultural barriers and religious differences of the past, they'll all be able to understand this, won't they? We all have a body and we can relate to this imagery. So look back at verse 14, see what Paul says. He says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts yet one body. So what this tells us is that God, in his sovereignty, he has arranged each member of the body of Christ. And he's given each of you specific giftings. And here's the important part. As he chose to complement each other. And this image of the physical body, it helps us to understand how important that is. I mean, how unhelpful would it be if we were all given the exact same type of gifting to serve the church with? Well, Paul shows us how unhelpful it would be. He says, it would be like if the whole body were an eye. All right, that's the thing that nightmares are made of, you guys. That's horrible. But secondly, you wouldn't be able to function. All right, I mean, imagine how horrible it would be having to watch a delicious meal being prepared but having no nose to smell it with, no mouth to taste it with. Imagine being able to see the beauty of spring and everything growing and becoming green, flowers blooming, but you, you can't touch them or you can't feel the sensation of the warm grass under your feet. Man, you can't hear uh, the birds chirping at the morning sunrise. You can just see it all. Man, how horrible does that sound? But thankfully, that's not God's design for the church. He's given us all specific and unique gifts for mutual service, for his glory. So Paul goes on to say, think about how preposterous it would be for one part of the body to think that it's not part of the body just because its function is not the same as another, right? I mean, imagine if you woke up tomorrow and your foot just decided it didn't want to be a foot anymore. It wants to be a hand today. That doesn't really make it, that doesn't make it any less of a foot, does it? Or make its function any less important. Well, in the same way, Just because your gifting doesn't look exactly like another person's doesn't make you any less of a needed part of the church. It actually makes you all the more essential to it is what Paul is saying here. Don't get distracted by the type of giftings that Paul lists off here. It's not not an exhaustive list. There are only actually six different passages throughout the entire New Testament that list off specific spiritual gifts. And I'm not gonna, not gonna list off all the passages or all the gifts this morning. If you are really interested, come see me. I can give those to you afterwards. But what you will see is that no passage mentions every single gift, nor is any specific gift listed in every single passage. All right, I'm gonna say that again because it's a little bit of a tongue twister. No passage mentions every single gift, nor is any specific gift listed in every single passage. And that's important because it shows us that the purpose of spiritual giftings is not to be so focused on trying to attain every single one or the ones that we view maybe as being more important, but rather to faithfully use the one that you have. But even if it were, all right, let's just say that every spiritual gifting listed throughout the New Testament, the goal was to attain every spiritual gifting. Let's say that were the goal. There is one person to ever live who had every spiritual gift available to him, and that's Christ. And he still functioned within God's design of interdependence. The Trinity functions within God's design of interdependence 
dependence. Christ, he had disciples. He had friends who he relied on as they too relied on him. Look quickly with me at Matthew 10. If you want to turn there, just a few books back. Matthew 10, verse 1, and then we are going to jump up to verse 7 quickly. It says, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. In verse 7 there, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Another translation says, freely you have received, freely give. All right, Jesus, the son of God, the God who is the giver of all spiritual gifts in his humanity was confined to a physical body and he needed others. He was interdependent on his disciples. He relied on them to go out and to do the work that he too was doing in other places that they had been gifted to do which he had gifted them for. They were indispensable to him. And some of you this morning, all of you this morning, you need to hear that today, church. You are an indispensable part of the body of Christ. You also need to hear this. Every other believer, especially those sitting in this room right now, are indispensable to you. We need each other. And that's not weakness, church. That is God's perfect design for his people. We are meant for complementary interdependence. And so the question is, if that's how the church is supposed to function, if every single Christian is meant to be active in providing mutual care for one another, why so often does it go unseen? Why is the place where there's supposed to be Uh, where we're supposed to be using our giftings to bring to light the beauty of the gospel and God's design for his people, so often a place filled with slander and malice and independence and disunity. Why is there so much unseen interdependence? Some of you... um, You may or may not know this about me already, but I spent about three years at Hillsong Church in Australia before Kathy and I moved here, came to Substance. I got to observe and unfortunately be a part of a lot of the things described in this letter there. Now, if you follow anything about Hillsong, and I don't just mean their music ministry, but their churches, then you have seen the rise and fall of quite a few celebrity pastors within the last year or two. And my attention is not to drag any of them through the mud here. I'm not going to mention any names or anything, but to bring to light the dangers of celebrity culture and elevating certain people in the church based off of the type of gifting that God has given them. It does a few things. One, it creates a hierarchical leadership pattern and it puts them so up high above the rest of the body that it leaves them isolated and untouchably independent but it also creates a culture that leaves little room or need for anyone else to serve the church with any of their giftings because the majority of their time is spent serving that one individual, which actually just leads to more independence. 
Now, this doesn't just fall onto the backs of a few celebrity church pastors in megachurches across the world. We play our parts, too, in unseen interdependence. So here's a couple more reasons that we see in this text as to why there's so much unseen interdependence in the church. One, we, we don't always recognize our need for others, do we? We don't always recognize our need for others. On the flip side of that, we don't always recognize that others need us. Also, some of us overemphasize the part that we play in the body, while many of us, I would say, probably underemphasize the part that God has given us. Or sometimes we are just discontent with the gift that God has given to us, so we refuse to use it, or we, or we wrongly desire another spiritual gift because of the status that we think it may bring. All of these things they produce the same outcomes. They either make parts of God's church out to be dispensable or it causes us to relentlessly and exhaustively go after something that we have not been gifted to do. And we actually end up then neglecting the very thing that we have been gifted to do by God. Pastor Stephen T. Um, he says this, when God's compositional design is missed, there is nothing left but self-composition. There is a lack of interdependence when members of the body are more interested in self-composition rather than seeing that God is the composer of the body and the appointer of gifts. We view ourselves as the composer and believe that we can attain skills and competencies through hard work alone. Similarly, if we believe our identity can be built on our own, then we will need to protect it on our own and keep others at an arm's length by insulating ourselves from the interdependence of community. Does any of that, any of that resonate with you this morning? Resonates with me. Pick back up verse 21. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's really hard to suffer with those who suffer and rejoice with those who are honored when we are so focused on self-care or independence more than we are on mutual care or interdependence. When we're focused on self-care and creating our own giftings, suffering with those who suffer, hey man, it, it's, it seems too costly, doesn't it? Man, rejoicing when another is honored actually becomes unbearable because we've separated ourselves and are no longer the thing being praised. And it pushes against everything that we've created and we don't like it. Examine your heart this morning. Has it drifted into this place of independent self-care over interdependent mutual care? 
Ask yourself some hard questions, questions that we should be asking ourselves regularly. Do I see, do I see others as being replaceable? Have I elevated my gifts above others in the church or do I not think that I have a gift to offer? Have either of those led me away from mutual care and interdependence? If, if any of those questions have the answer yes for you, then ask, what does, it, what does it look like to become interdependent? What does becoming interdependent look like? Well, it looks like this. First, it looks like complete dependence on Christ as your savior and your king. Repenting of your sinfulness, confessing your complete need for him, and then recognizing how good his grace is. Man, Christ could have viewed sinners like us as being dispensable. But instead, in all of his kindness and his mercy and his grace, he saw us as being indispensable and he came dispensable in our place. He is the head of the body, the most presentable part, and he willingly sacrificed himself. He was dishonored so that we, church, the least presentable parts, can receive honor. Secondly, it looks like believing what Paul says in this passage. It looks like hearing him through the clarity of the spirit that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you have that same spirit in you. You are a part of the body of Christ, which means you have a gifting to serve and a calling to do so. Not from a place of guilt, the exact opposite of that, but from an overwhelming thankfulness for the grace that you have been shown, for the guilt that you have been freed from. And if you're thinking, yeah, but how do I do that? How do I even figure out what my gifting is? And how do I develop it? Man, I'm sure most of you, you've probably been to a wedding in this room. If you're married, I really hope you were there. Um, but maybe you've been to one of those really extravagant weddings before. Again, maybe that was yours. I don't know. You know, the kind with, man, the amazing band and food galore. There's all kinds of people to talk to and interact with. The dessert bar is like literally just exploding with all of your favorite desserts. It's a good thing Ronnie's not here. He'd be, he'd be whooping this morning. Um, man, they've got dancing. I've got a photo booth. I've literally got everything that you can think of. But when you walk in, you don't take part in any of it. You come in, you sit in the same spot, you do every, at every wedding, independent from everyone else. You don't get up to dance. You don't talk to anyone. You don't go get any of the food. You don't refill your friend's drink because you never go up to get your own. You just, you just sit there and watch. Has that become, or is that your view of what the church was supposed to be? Or of your essential place in the body of Christ? How do we figure out our giftings? How do we grow in them? Through serving one another. Man, get in on this. That's the invitation this morning. Get in on this. Be a part of this body of mutual care and service towards one another. These kinds of messages, man, they're, they're so touchy. And I don't, I don't want this to be a message of condemnation. Please forgive me if, if it's come across that way because that's not my intention. 
But I would not be a good brother in Christ to you. I would not be showing you the importance of the need for interdependence if I laid this all out this morning and didn't invite you into it. If I just said, well, I, th I think that person's saved and they, man, they're here on Sunday. I, that's good, right? Not only will you suffer by not getting to experience the beauty of interdependence, but the whole body suffers. We need each other. We need each different gifting in the church. We need one another. Again, don't get lost in the importance of the individual giftings. Don't lose focus on the point of the passage. It's easy to do. And yes, you might think, well, but Paul ends here by saying, earnestly desire the higher gifts. He doesn't say the more important gifts. He means those that are actually required the most sacrifice for the building up of the church, those that show the greatest amount of love and mutual care for one another. We can know this because he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Look at the text. Earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then in the next chapter, he goes on to explain how all these giftings, whether you believe man, that some of these have ceased in church at this point in time or they're still continuing. He says, all these giftings at some point will cease. They will be no more. And there will be one thing to remain and it will be love. You'll have to read through chapter 14. That was my summary of it. But that's where he ends. And so the question this morning is how are you using your giftings for the purposes of love, for the love of the body, for the glory and the building up of God's church. Ask yourself, church, am I, am I forming my heart and my giftings to serve the church or myself, the love of my own comforts as we sang this morning? Am I living as a disciple on mission or am I just attending church on Sunday because it just, it just seems like the good thing to do? Do I serve under a set of conditions like only when it's convenient for me or do I give freely, generously and sacrificially of my time and my talent and my treasure for the mutual service and the building up of the body and the glorification of Christ as the head of that body? Do you realize that's the goal? That's why we do this. That's why we are part of this body for Christ's glory. The only one the church was ever meant to be sustained and built on is Christ and Christ alone. And the mission of that work is to be carried out by not just the gifts and talents of a few professionals, but the gifts and the talents and the sacrifice of the whole church, of you, church. Of you, I don't think he's here this morning, Don Snook. Thinking about Don Snook, man, the way he serves so faithfully in our kids' ministry with gifts of teaching, the way he serves with gifts of help in our facilities team. Man, thinking about Ashley Carr, and man, I don't think I ever see her with the same person out getting coffee. She, she gets together with so many different people to encourage and to show support and to disciple and love. Man, that's, that's the goal. Substance doesn't need more professionals to do the work of ministry. It needs the body of Christ you, church, to do the work of ministry. 
to function together in the beauty of interdependence. And these are people who grasp and are grateful for the sacrificial work of Christ and all that he does and is doing to go out and make disciples who know, who understand, and who love and live out that work too. Those who use the gifts that they've been given by God for mutual care and interdependence so that God would be made big and that Jesus would be glorified above all. That's who the church is. That's what it was meant to be. So let's live that out together, amen? Let's pray. Father, as we, man, as we think and we reflect on what it means to be a part of your body, I ask that you would remind us again of your grace, of Christ, the head of the church, of the way that he laid down his life in humility for the common good of his people that it would lead us in overwhelming thankfulness this morning and our response would be a life of gratitude and servanthood for what you have done both for us and in us. God, lead us in unity, in love for you and for one another. Give us, give us open eyes for the opportunities around us to live out our interdependence and give us the compassion and the grace to act on them for the love of one another and that you may be so greatly glorified in us. So do this work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ we pray, amen.